0: Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson.
1: Welcome Diverse Tech Founders family. We have a brilliant episode in store for you this week. And if you're like me, you like getting out in front of the latest trends. And this episode is for you, if that's you also. We're inviting on a legend in the game, Shamite Obialo, who is going to connect you to everyone you need to grow your business. And that is an understatement. Shamite is the founder of The Suites, which is a business community for executives and entrepreneurs of color. They're launching an app coming up in April to go virtual. So no one that you need is too far away. In fact, I'm getting a lot of press. A lot of people are excited about this community. And in terms of some of the coaches, there are some heavy hitters in there, including folks who are at venture capital firms, folks from Columbia, uh, folks from Sotheby's TV hosts, to name a few. You just have a lot of people in this community and they're looking for founders just like you. So if that sounds like you, I hope that you enjoy the show.
2: So we have uh, Shemite Obialo of The Sweets with us today, who's gonna talk about how you, if you're a founder listening to this right now, can get linked up with the community that you never thought existed, but now is ready just for you. We're gonna learn more about that today from Shemite. But first, we want to get to know you. And our first question is, where did you grow up and just kind of get into a little bit of what that growing up experience was like, the, the genesis of Shamita, if you
0: will. Yeah. Well, thank you, Abraham. Thank you so much for having me. You and I, we've met last year before COVID. There was so much excitement around a, a platform that I was going to be building, which was a physical space called Enoco House. COVID just derailed all of that. But There's also this unique opportunity that I've had to build the suites, which is a virtual business network. And we're going to, of course, dig into that. But I grew up in Atlanta, grew up in a Nigerian household. So my parents immigrated to this country from Nigeria in the 80s. You know, like a lot of first generation Africans, African-Americans, the emphasis was, of course, on academic rigor and doing well in school and following certain paths. So it was doctor, lawyer, engineer. I ended up in school studying psychology and pre-law at Duke University, so that was in large part trying to follow that same pathway of just academic excellence that my parents set for me, but also recognizing that I just wasn't good in the math and sciences, I wasn't as passionate about that and I was always really analytical, so I went to Duke, I studied psychology, I ended up going to Columbia Law School and became a corporate finance attorney. So that's a little bit about my background.
2: Cool. Tell us. About your tech background and what that means to you, and maybe even some insight to people who are non-technical uh, founders who are in this space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a technical founder. If anything, I'm I'm the opposite. I lean creative. I sing, and I was in an acapella group in college, and I did take computer science, and I got a C. <laughs> I'm dead school. I was the worst. But at this day and age, you can be a non-technical founder and build a technical product. So the suites, we we have an incredible mobile app that we're building. And I engaged a developer team based in India. I've been managing that as the CTO or as the head of product and just everything from designing and mocking up what it was gonna look like in great detail and then moving into actual development of both an iOS and an Android app, as well as the admin panel that helps us to manage our platforms. I've been deeply involved. We've got a Slack channel where every feature that's built out, I'm testing. I've grown into becoming more technical and and learning as I go. And I think it just takes more or less being detail oriented, being willing to get into the weeds and having an awareness of what's out there, what might be some best practices. And when you don't know, just look it up. So that's how the software development process has been going for me. So now bring us
2: to the present and the future. What is The Suites? And from where did this idea come from?
0: The Suites is an exclusive business community for executives and entrepreneurs of color who are navigating the C-suite and looking for strategic connections and resources to scale their businesses. We talked a little bit about how, before COVID nineteen hit, was planning to do a physical membership space called Anoko House. For the last. Four years uh, prior to launching the Suites, I was building out an arts focused membership community. In New York City, where I was practicing law, I would host mixers, art shows, music concerts, but I would bring together diverse professionals and creatives and really connect people across race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status. And art was a great tool to bridge build. So I was really expanding my network in New York City. And we talked about how I'm from Atlanta. Being a professional in New York where you didn't necessarily grow up here, you have to start to entrench yourself in power circles. Interestingly enough, by following my passion for for the arts, I was actually able to start cultivating business relationships. And so the natural extension of hosting these pop-up events was for me having an actual clubhouse, similar to a Soho house or similar to a Harvard club, things like that. Now, COVID made that all but impossible. And so I started to think about how to continue this same mission of bringing together diverse professionals, uh, helping people to really try to do business together. So that's where in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, the killing of Breonna Taylor, you're getting this momentum from the Black Lives Matter movement that went from the streets into the suites. And you had so many Black executives and professionals begin to speak out and talk about the challenges that they had in their own uh, work environments, people basically collaborating together. and and talking about the need to have more diversity when it comes to hiring Black and all that stuff. So all this momentum happening, and I started to think about what role I could play. There's something very interesting that, that we experience as founders. It's somewhat of a paradox when you're a founder of color and you are seeking to ideally support and engage other people who are also business owners of color, but you can't find them whether that's in a a marketing support, whether that's administrative, whether that's an accountant, a lawyer. And so you end up being part of the problem, unintentionally so. And I realized that was an issue with me as well. I thought, well, it's because we just don't know each other. How can you do business together if you don't know and trust one another? So fundamentally, there is this issue of us just not being connected. When I say us, I mean a lot of executives and entrepreneurs of color. We're not connected. So that's where it started.
2: You just sort of opened Pandora's box a little bit into your description. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be good. So what is the technical solution for this community as a service platform? There are other places that people go, maybe not quite like the suites, but there's no shortage of, of apps or social media apps that have been coming out. But what is sort of your technical solution that would get people sticky with the sweets?
0: There's a couple of things that we're focused on, and I would say that it boils down to connections, coaching, and capital. Right now, the mobile app we're building out, it's hooked into the first prong of that. The app is designed to foster introductions amongst the members, but also, introductions so that people who are on the platform can connect members to those in their broader network. There's these matches that we're facilitating. You get points. So there's a gamification where as you're engaging with people, either connecting two members together, connecting a member to someone in your network, or you're sending an offer of support or service, you're getting points. So we want to encourage people to just explore who's in the community because we're curating a highly vetted group of business owners. We take this great pride and effort in cultivating this network. And so the job of the members is dig into it and see how you can support someone in the network and then get that reinforced. There's a reciprocity there. I think that a lot of networks are oriented around sharing content, sort of self-promotion, all of that. I would say we are focused on collaboration. We're focused on business transactions. So our our app is is a little bit more strategic, a little bit more business oriented than some of the social apps that I've seen out there. In terms of the coaching, a lot of that is going to be happening on things like group Zoom calls or one-on-one Zoom calls. Our expectation and hope is as we scale the platform that we are able to create something as powerful as, I don't know if you're familiar with, knowledge networks. Or expert networks. They're used a lot in private equity, hedge funds, investor communities where you have to quickly find someone who's an expert with deep domain expertise in a particular area. So you get on these knowledge networks, something like a GLG, for example, and you're able to quickly find someone who can have a call with you and you have 30 minute one hour call and boom you're caught up to speed on on the latest in the industry where we can actually have more of a technological solution for the coaching and the and the access to business expertise
2: solid uh, and you are brilliant when it comes to cultivating backers and people to support you, how did you prove to stakeholders that folks would use this particular, this pivot that you've undergone? Like, how did you make the case that, hey, I was building this, folks wanted that, now I'm building this, this is why this is the better move?
0: Well, people are, I, the, the, the response that I have gotten from, you know, potential investors, potential partners is, oh my gosh, this is so needed. It's very apparent that there is an issue when it comes to communities of color working together, when it comes to folks finding and locating communities of color to do business with who who are, you know, outside of that community. So it's very apparent that there's a need for more and more of these communities to exist. But now the question becomes who is it that's going to be the one to build it and steward this mission? And so it has everything to do with just my track record as a professional. Every time you have a project with someone or you're building a relationship with someone, they're taking notes on how that experience was. So whether that be me working as a corporate finance attorney and having certain clients, I used to work with 645 Ventures. I used to work with Arlen Hamilton at Backstage Capital. These were my clients and they also were able to see how I work, how diligent I work. And so when I reach out to them, they respond to me. So it's like you, you build up a reputation that kind of precedes you and that's your name. That's everything, you know, your name. So I don't take that for granted and I try to make sure that I continue to live up to my name and just deliver excellence and be the standard that people would measure themselves against. So at the earliest stage that I'm at, it's it's about me, to be quite honest, because like you said, there's other platforms out there that have the potential to be just as successful, but it's more so... Who's driving the bus?
2: To use your metaphor, who's in the bus? Who are your best customers?
0: It's so interesting you asked that because you don't always know when you're starting out who are going to be the ideal fit. You have the general idea and then you whittle that down. And when you're building community, you have to like really niche down and then further go even more specific and targeted. As I've been having a lot of discovery calls and talking to entrepreneurs and talking to executives, I've understood who this would be best suited for. So, we're focused on entrepreneurs of color, in particular black and latino entrepreneurs, and we're focused on folks who have either raised at least 500,000 or they have annual revenues of at least 500,000. I've set that revenue threshold because uh, based on the kinds of coaching and even capital relationships that we're infusing in these businesses, we need them to be at a place where they're beyond just an idea. They are beyond just the very beginning. They're at a place where they're, they're needing to scale. They're needing that additional support. And it's a little bit more high touch than you can provide for a lot of businesses that are just at that idea phase. And I think there's a lot of programs out there that are focused on starting. And not enough focus on, you've already started, how do you deal with managing a team and leading a team? How do you deal with some of the legal and regulatory landscape that's out there and all the pitfalls that can, you know, tax regulations and things that can really kind of mess up a business? that's on a great trajectory.
2: So it's you, you mentioned the team. Talk to us about your decision to bring on or not bring on a co-founder.
0: Well, I don't have a co-founder and I'm not opposed to it. I think it's coming down to you've got an idea, you've got a vision and the time it would take to find someone to do that vision with you is time that's could be spent actually building out your vision. With that said, there's so much power in having the right team that's moving forward together. And you can move that much faster when you've got a team. So I'm, I'm in the midst of recruiting um, that early kind of MVP team, as I'm calling it. And one of the uh, young women that's working with me, I actually worked with her at, at, at my last law firm, Lowenstein Sandler. She was a paralegal. And I saw how she worked and I saw her passion and I knew that she did good work product. When she left, she expressed that she was, have more of a business operations uh, role somewhere. So we just kept in touch and now we're working together and I'm training her. I'm really enjoying that process. She's hopefully going to be employee number one. And then I'm also, there's a number of kind of roles I'm looking to fill out. And I really take an approach of, you know, wanting people who've got a lot of expertise, who've got a lot of years under their belt, but at the same time, they're not too senior that they won't be able to humble themselves and listen. And so that's kind of the approach I'm taking, but I'm in that process of looking for folks. And of course, they'll be getting equity. So in a sense, they'll be partners But but no, I didn't go the route of co-founder.
2: Makes sense. And thank you for that. That insight and the let's just get it done mentality. Building on uh, something that you mentioned earlier, you know, going beyond the starting uh, and and growing and scaling, managing, building the right team. Oftentimes that requires resources. But I'm going to disentangle the getting of those resources from the obligations or strings that can sometimes be attached to it. If you just had a million dollars in funding right now, you know, in a bag, however you like delivered to you, no questions asked, you can do with it what you want. How are you breaking up that million to, to use for the sweets?
0: Great question. Isn't that the only, you know, I was actually talking to my business coach about this. I think that it's an important question to ask because a lot of entrepreneurs aren't judicious with how they're spending capital. And sometimes when it it's not your money; it's someone else's money. You just aren't as disciplined with how you're allocating it, and uh, you get into this cycle of always needing to raise, raise, raise. But now, so f- for me, a big part of that goes into building out the team um, and, and you know staffing up and lo- looking at you know bringing on a head of sales. As someone who can support our members, head of membership experiences, so hosting events and, and weekly workshops. And also, you know, it's so important when you're building a community to have a really strong line of communication with the members, making sure that you're retaining them, not just recruiting them and then having that turnover. So that's that's really, really important. And digital marketing is just huge right now, and there's so many platforms where you have to have a presence, you know, whether that be Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Clubhouse, and it just LinkedIn. (laughs) So just really uh, building out a strong digital platform, that's really important. And then getting into the technical platform. So a big chunk of that goes into developing out the the broader knowledge network that I talked about at, at the beginning. So essentially being able to provide coaches on demand for our members being able to offer them a resource platform where they can get access to templates and things that can help guide them through the stages of their business, that's going to be really, really important. So I would say I would definitely use that to build out the team, build out our digital marketing presence, and then build out our technical platform.
2: Nice. So you have the ear of some of the wisest folks. I mean, your network is impressive. The people who want you to win, uh, the people who have you done work for, the people you have you partnered with, uh, there's no shortage of a sage wisdom that you've received. So this next question is, is if you can share the wealth a little bit, uh, what's the most profitable piece of advice that you've received since you first started building this MVP in the suites?
0: Thank you for that question. So I would say that some of the best advice I've gotten is that entrepreneurship is like pushing out a baby every day. Every day. You know, I listened to Les Brown, who's a motivational coach from way back when, but his guidance still rings true. And he talks about courage, and courage is going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. So it, it's, it's in the same vein. I mean, recognizing the level of effort that's needed to kind of keep the momentum going, whether that be with your team, with recruiting customers, retaining customers, just the ups and downs of business, the level of of effort that's needed there is profound. And when let's imagine we take this analogy further. So when you're pushing out a baby, when you're pregnant, you have to take good care of yourself, you know? You have to maintain a certain level of, of health and wellness. And I think that it is so, so important for entrepreneurs to focus on health. Um, it's something that we recently touched on in, in a separate talk that we were part of working out regularly and exercising and eating right and sleeping enough, all of that weighs into your ability to push out that baby. So I think that it's just a matter of protecting your chi. And what I mean is the energy that's needed to exert the effort that's required to build a business. It's very, very important. So that's some of the best advice that I've gotten and just continue to come back to uh, because of the constant ups and downs and roller coasters that running a business kind of puts you through
2: wow Uh, i'm gonna need a minute to absorb that i was not expecting the prenatal metaphor
0: get into it get into it i mean i know you're a man (laughs) but maybe watch some videos and then you'll be able to appreciate the level of effort I haven't had a baby yet. So I'm in the same boat as you, put it that way. But you know what it means. You've watched, you've watched films, you know what that means, you know?
2: It's true, I'm gonna have to take your word for it. I don't know if I have any you know, videos on my docket for this weekend, but I will take you at your <laughs> word. This next question is for the number crunchers in the community listening right now who wanna know you know, straight up, yes, you're delivering value. Yes, this is needed. Yes, you have some high-profile people who are coming online, and there are more in your sites. How do you make money?
0: Yeah, how do we? Well, so we haven't made money yet. We're we're launching the beta in March. We're launching with about 150 members. The plan is to run a but you know typical subscription or membership model where our members are paying. So the plan is to set it at $600 annually, and that is fairly conservative. I think we'll probably go up from there. And you start with that, and there's other, you know, there's other ways you monetize. So the coaching, uh, we'll be doing that eventually with the commission structure. So as we connect folks with coaches and they have the calls, then th- those calls are monetized and we take a percentage of that. Those are some of the principal ways that, that we expect monetization. But I'm also recognizing the the need to stay nimble and, and to see where, you know, how the platform scales and, and how we can figure out new ways to monetize.
2: Absolutely. Thank you for that. More to come on that yeah. front. That's exciting. Yeah. This question is going, I'm just like, how are you going to answer this one? Just because, especially since you are so, Entrenched in the artistic community, and I use the word, the phrase, the noun artist broadly—not just visual artists. Could be, you know, vocal artists, uh, musical artists, instrumental, even broader than that. But for you specifically, which artist has been the most inspirational for your work? Like, where are you tapping in? Who is giving you that energy and that vibe that you need to push out that baby every day?
0: Well. I have been a big fan of Chimamanda. Chimamanda is Chimamanda Adichie. She's a, uh, she's a writer and writers are artists. And I think, you know, with the sudden fame and limelight that's been, um, you know, fallen upon uh, Amanda Gorman, the poet who was speaking at the inauguration, I think we have a, New appreciation for writers and chima manda um, is a Nigerian writer uh, who is very inspiring to me as a woman she's a feminist and I think she she helps us to question a few things one the danger of a single story and she writes and and, and specifically she talks about you know in Africa in Nigeria the issues that we have with painting an entire continent with a single brush one of devastation one of poverty and, and and that sort of thing another theme is talking about feminism and you know what makes sense and doesn't make sense when it comes to what a woman can and can't do and i think that i really really love uh, following her journey and being inspired by her eloquence her just being so bold and even though she's not quote unquote a business executive, I just so appreciate her as a leader and as a voice for a powerful woman of color. So Chima Manda Dice would be one of my most biggest, one of my biggest inspirations.
2: That's an awesome response, it is. And power to the writers. They they definitely. Uh, prove that the pen is mightier than the sword, for sure. Yeah. In what ways does your background make it easier for you to succeed? And I say this because, in a lot of times, it's easy to find uh, the barriers or the shackles that we have been, that have been placed on us in terms of how we move through the space and things that make our life harder and more difficult. But this is a different question. This is asking you in what ways does your background actually make it easier for you to succeed in this endeavor that you are embarking on with the Sweets?
0: Yeah, I have two parents who are physicians who overcame, you know, great odds to come to this country and have succeeded as physicians. You know, they didn't come from money by any means. You know, my mom always tells a story of how She was only able to come here to this country because her dad, my late grandfather, gave up his pension. He was working in uh, Nigeria, but as a librarian for the United States government, which was really rare at that time. But he gave her his entire pension uh, to come to this country to study medicine. And that's how she was able to come. My dad couldn't make it here. Initially, he went to London. He was actually working as a security guard. Also, also working in medicine and then they were able to f- finally come together go to Oral Roberts to do their residency and that's in Tulsa where I was born so their journey to this country and also their continued hard work without sort of without that chip on their shoulder as to what I can't do because of my race or my ethnicity that is a big That is a big influence on me. I think I have the privilege of seeing them as an example. And so I just simply don't internalize a lot of the, for lack of a better word, inferiority that a lot of others do. And I recognize that that has everything to do with the examples that I saw around me of just Black excellence and success you know, my mom is a cardiologist. She's part of the Association of Black Cardiologists. And I grew up around that organization. Uh, She was the first female president. And so we were like the first family, let's say at a certain point. And that organization is full of successful Black doctors. And it is such a cool thing to be a part of. And once you're part of it, you're just, you're just you know, you're kind of part of it for life, you know, just being surrounded by examples that you can emulate. I think that's been a great privilege for me. And um, so it, it, it's, it's part of how I've been socialized. I've been socialized into success as a black professional. So to see something to the, to the contrary to that, I get cognitive dissonance, as opposed to some people who've been socialized in the opposite direction. So I think that that's something that stands out as a big a big way, a big part of my worldview. Powerful.
2: So born in Tulsa, grew up in Atlanta. How has growing up in Atlanta, you know, giving you an advantage in New York's startup scene, which is very robust, probably you know, up there with the best of them outside of Silicon Valley, how has uh, the Atlanta growing up experience giving you an advantage in New York?
0: I think it's just more so being an outsider. Coming to New York City for law school in 2010, you know, I didn't have a lot of connections here at all. You know, I think that when you aren't rooted in a community, you're more open to meeting new people. New York City is a city where spontaneous interactions are welcomed, and if you're open to it, you can really network quite a bit and, and grow your professional network in ways that are probably not possible in cities like Atlanta, which are a little bit more insular and that people kind of stick more to who they already know. Coming from a place where at least I had a stronger networking community, whether that be uh, through my mom's extended network, my parents extended network, Black physicians, whether that be through uh, high school folks or just Black lawyer circles, because I would say I started to get involved with things like the Georgia Association of Black Women Attorneys, and you know, in between college and law school, I did work for a judge, and um, so there there is a really strong Black lawyer community in Atlanta that I didn't find here in New York. But I think the key was not having all of that made me hustle even harder to like insert myself into circles. And when you're starting from scratch, you've got everything to lose and everything to gain. And so you just take risks that you probably wouldn't take. So I think that that's the biggest thing. I was just bold and I didn't know what I didn't know. And so um, just kind of going to certain networking events and meeting certain people. I remember I was at a gala for the Northside Children's, it's like the Northside Children's Center. And I met John Utendahl and I met Charles Phillips. You know, I just pitched them a Noko house. They were like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds great. We need something like that. Now, I think that if I was under the, if I was in Atlanta, where I felt like I already had connections, I probably wouldn't have been so bold as to go myself to some some event like that and stand on my own. So I think that that's what it is. It forces you to stand on your own.
2: Another plug for anybody who is thinking about going outside of their hometown or leaving their local village to go somewhere else, you do have kind of a, a face yourself moment where you have to... It up or shut up. Basically, like you made the decision look, I'm going to make this work. And if it requires a different strategy, then I'm just going to have to shift my strategy.
0: Yeah.
2: Which is a positive thing. Getting back to the sweets a little bit more and the value that you're adding to the ecosystem. Yeah. If you had to strip out every single thing that you've been working on, except for one thing, that you could only keep one thing, one feature, or one benefit of the sweets. What would it be if you had to start over and just have this one thing? What would that be?
0: If I had to start over, I would say it's been a learning journey in terms of, um, you know, figuring out that product market fit and figuring out what people really, really need and are willing really to pay money for. I would say coaching is the number one. Every person needs a coach, but every business owner needs a coach, even if you're highly successful. Maybe you you're on the way to selling your company. There are times when I will give other people advice and I won't realize that I haven't taken that advice myself. So you may have all the knowledge, but are you applying it to yourself? And sometimes we just need someone else to check us. But I think it's just so important to have a peer group. It's also important to have people who've done what you're doing and they've been doing it, but they're like maybe five years ahead of you or 10 years ahead of you or 15 years ahead of you. That mentorship, that intergenerational knowledge transfer that's very 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 important i think it's just that people think they have to go it alone or they feel that uh, they don't want to burden other people right so they feel that they have to suffer in silence so i think that i have seen everybody needs a little bit of tweaking and if you're not continuing to grow if you're not staying green then you're dying, something that I've heard. You have to recognize we're all growing together. And from top-tiered executives I've dealt with to people who are just starting out, we all need coaching. And I think that recognizing that and and basically humbling oneself uh, to recognize that is important. And then once you realize that, seeking out the communities that are out there and that exist to support is equally important. That's the biggest feature that I'm now hooked into, and it's come from learnings from conversations I've had with so many different business owners and recognizing that you know it's, it's, it's just needing a thought partner as you go through those ups and downs of business. That's particularly critical.
2: Hugely important, and thank you for touching on that. The Suites is in its infancy right now. Yeah. Right? Uh, but it's going to grow and pick up as more people come on board, more traction, more revenue and the like. Your, your team expands uh, and you could keep going with sort of no end in sight. And this next question is to get at what that looks like. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? So there's two questions, really. it's a Yes or no on the first one. But we want you to know or we want to know from you the why or why not
0: question as well. Do I want to run a billion dollar company? I really don't even know what that means. I have seen companies that have raised a billion dollars and have gone bust. The inflated valuation that can result from a frenzy of excitement around a particular product that's unjustified by actual revenue and traction. But it's a billion dollar company, right? I think that there is a detachment from reality that has started to creep in when it comes to valuing companies and a lot of speculation around companies. I want to build a great company. I want to build a company that is employing incredible folks, is creating value. I'd love to have a sale and an exit, which helps me enter into a new echelon of wealth, of course. Um, but at the, at the core of it, I don't really think about building a billion-dollar company. I think about building a great company that's creating job opportunities, that's creating value, helping elevate uh, minority-owned businesses. And and if we become a billion-dollar company in the process, then
2: so be it. That's a good answer, uh, especially because you, you kind of questioned the question there a little bit, uh-
0: well, I mean, it, I think it's a thought-provoking question, especially given all these unicorns that we've seen creep up. And then, you know, you never really see when they crash and burn. You only hear about, like, could be a cent. But I think part of it is being a corporate finance attorney. I have also been on the other side where it's like people are going bankrupt. It's like the trail of tears that follows that nobody's paying attention to.
2: You're right. That's, that's an important distinction for sure. So hopefully you, you, stay, you get up and you stay up. Uh, so this next question is in uh, relationship to the affluence parties that, that we discussed at various different points in time. You're familiar with the concept, right? Like people come, this network and vibe, the situation. There's a buildup of people from the audience kind of speaking about the founder. The founder gives a dynamic speech. And then there's a Q and A portion where people who are new to the game, maybe a friend brought them. They don't even know who the founder is. They just thought it was a cool event. To people who, uh, you know, are raising you know multi million dollar funds on the VC side, like hundred million dollar funds and the like, all of them comfortable asking whatever question they like. This is for you. Which question are you asking at this app lunch party? Shavite raises her hand and point to you. What's coming out? Uh, Next, after that. What would I
0: ask myself? Um, I'd probably ask myself, well, what kind of members, if I was interested in joining, well, who do you have? You know, what kind of members are in the suites? Um, What kind of company would I be keeping as a member of the suites? Uh, That might be a question that I ask. I'd also ask how I can get involved and how I can become a member. And I'll answer two of those questions (laughs) if you want.
2: Go
0: for it. Um, so one of the, one of the you know, most exciting members that, that we recently brought on, Tiffany Dufu. She's an incredible uh, female founder, founder of The Crew, which is a, I don't know if you're familiar, but The Crew is all about providing support for, for women, um, uh, kind of through support circles. She's raised a couple million dollars and she's super inspiring. She's also an author, author of a book called Drop the Ball. Um, so she's incredible uh, uh another founder, Eric Taylor, he's a founder of a private equity fund called Trident, and uh, they've also raised a couple million are in the midst of raising a very large fund, about two hundred and fifty million and their focus is on investing in u s based small businesses, and they're all about kind of being that that level of sophistication and capital that a lot of small businesses don't get kind of because they're below the radar of most uh most private equity shops. So uh, so it's an interesting uh niche that the Trident's targeting and you know these are folks who they're incredible leaders, uh they're incredible uh executives and they've decided hey like I want to be in, in, in a peer group with others who are like myself and so that they so that we can all level up together. So so those are some of the folks, and you know, we've got a website, www.jointhessuets.com, and anybody can apply uh, if you feel like you fit the bill. If not, we've also got a newsletter because we'd like for everybody who's interested in building incredible businesses to be part of the community. and we're on social media at Inside the Suites across all channels. So that's also a way to get involved in the community. so Plenty of ways to reach
2: out. Definitely join that newsletter. Stay in the loop. And, and hey, if it tickles your fancy. Go ahead and apply because you. there's a powerful component that happens when you get to tap into a network effect, especially one as well curated as the one that Shamite and the rest of the folks uh, who are going to help build the suites are doing right now. So thank you for that bonus question as well. Following that.
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You just, uh, you, you gave you gave me the layup.
2: <laughs> finished, finish. <wrong. laughs> yeah. So this last question, and man, it doesn't even feel like uh, we have been talking for this long, but we've approached sort of the last official question. There's going to be one bonus question. So keep an eye out for that one or an ear out for that one. Uh, but this last one is just getting at kind of the heart. So what is the most valuable thing that you do for your customers or your potential customers?
0: The most valuable thing is we pay attention to what people are working on, what they need, what support they need. And we kind of do a deep dive and we do our best to play matchmaker. So I think that we're every, everything is moving really fast. We're in a world where people are, are operating on a really surface level and limited time is necessitating that kind of veneer of a you know sort of interaction and engagement. And the suites is about kind of peeling back that layer and, and trying to understand more in a detailed way, what are the business needs of our clients and how we can best serve that by connecting them with the right people. And, you know, we come back to the connections, the coaching and the capital. So I would say it is in recognizing that you've got to take your time and really understand what the needs are and then and then really kind of creating almost a mind map to figure out how we can piece together uh, resources for that particular business.
2: Love it. The uh we make it the way you want it type of model. That sounds sounds really good. Um, Solutions coming out of the suites. This last question is really just, if you were listening to this today and you already kind of gave us some options for the suites, but if you're listening to this today and you want to link up with Shamita, you're like, look, I love what you're doing. I want to help. I want to support you. I want to get in touch. I want to have an ongoing conversation or an intro conversation. Where can people go? to find out more about Shamite.
0: Okay. So you can email me at Shamite at jointhesuites.com. You can visit the website at www.jointhesweets.com. You can go to our socials on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or LinkedIn or, uh, well, Clubhouse is on the way, but all the channels. We're at Inside the Suites on those social channels. So reach out and uh, happy to have a conversation. Um, I have a ready-made Calendly just waiting for you where you can book some time, a 30-minute call, and we can uh, we
2: can talk about collaborating. That is wonderful and brilliant. The roads are open, the lines <laughs> are open uh, to get in touch with Shamite and tell her, let her know, hey, we listened to your podcast episode, we love what you were saying, let's connect. And with that, we will bid adieu. Do you have any parting words for our listeners, Shabite? Before we go, I'll give you the last word. Anything you got?
0: Um, no, Abraham. I just really appreciate you giving a platform, and uh, you and I were both ecosystem builders. And I think it's tremendous that you've continued to push us forward all while working a full-time gig as a corporate attorney. And so, hats off to you for creating this space and. Um, I just look forward to us rising together.
2: That's it. Thank you. And until next time. Take care. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.